Welcome to the Mental Health Boot Camp Podcast. This is the podcast where four psychotherapists, three of us Canadian, one of us American, serve you cutting edge mental health knowledge. I am Dr. Ryan Howes, a clinical psychologist from Pasadena, California. And I'm Dr. Brooke Lewis, a registered clinical counselor from the greater Vancouver area. And I'm Joanna Boyd, a psychotherapist from Port Moody. I'm Chris Boyd, psychotherapist from Coquitlam. Good evening, everyone. Welcome back to episode 76. Topic, topic to be determined. Boo. No, I said, whoa. Oh, whoa. You said boo. I'm like a boo. You're going to boo your own podcast? For- <laughs> She's trying to scare us as a ghost. <laughs> oh, we got our loudest hecklers within the group. Come on. Yeah. That's wild. <laughs> well, uh, gosh, everybody. What are you watching these days? <laughs> So right before we we started uh, recording, we were, Chris and I were bantering about um, some shows that we're watching, but unfortunately, Joanna and Ryan have not seen these shows, so that might be a two-way banter. But we were watching The Great, and then, well, we watched Yellowstone, then we watched The Great, and now we're watching 1883, which is the precursor to Yellowstone. Uh, and I wish I was watching The Great again. I know people love 1883. They really rave about it, but it's not quite hitting home. Yeah, it's pretty heavy. Like it's, uh, of course, it's based back in 1883. And the uh, group of folks leaving Dallas, Fort Worth and heading out to Oregon. And my goodness, they're only like miles out of Dallas. And I think what, I've already seen 13 people die. Yeah, rattlesnake bites and... uh, Drinking water that's not very good for you. Oh my gosh. I'll like tell you other things that would be major spoilers. Yeah. Yeah. Gotta keep that in mind. Is there mm-hmm. dysentery? This is like an <laughs> Oregon Trail game. I know. I was expecting, well, they might have had dysentery after they drank the water. They had tummy aches. Mm. Yeah. People didn't make I think it. some probably did die. But also they spent some time in Dallas, uh, Fort Worth, and I guess there's more Fort Worth than Dallas, but yeah, brutal. My goodness. The Wild West. Yeah. So very interesting because like obviously there was that game uh, way back when we were youngins, but um, just to kind of see it and really grasp what it would have been like to first come here and have to travel, traverse the country to, to settle somewhere. Um, yeah, with the wagons and having to herd cattle and how are you going to get travel across rivers and mountains and stay yeah. alive and adjust to, to a, things. Yeah, trying to find a place to plug in your iPhone. It was brutal. It was a big know. issue. But yeah, if, if it's sourcing out food and um, grief and loss of, you know, what can you bring with you and what can't you bring with you and having to come to acceptance of different things. And yeah, it's a slower moving show, but I think that really punctuates the struggles that they're in, right? It, yeah. Yeah. And the great, is that a, like a period piece or something? Yeah, kind of. It's um, occasionally, they say it's occasionally yeah. um, 
what, what's what's the term Brooke they use? Occasionally accurate in terms of uh, Catherine the Great's story. Wow. So it's based on her rise as Empress of uh, Russia. Um, so yeah, pretty offside in so many different ways, and technically it's a comedy. Um, yeah, it's definitely not one to watch with the kids. Mm-mm. Same with 1883. Uh, Don't watch that one with kids either. Yeah, but The Great is pretty entertaining, though. My goodness, I haven't seen a show like that before. Nice. Uh, yeah, kind I, of a parody, I guess, of mm-hmm. of that time. I've been watching a little bit of uh, of I guess swindler themed television from the Tinder Swindler to uh, this a little mini series called Inventing Anna. I oh, I've heard good things about Inventing Anna. Yeah. How is it? What's your take on that? It's it's pretty good. It's it's also like they make it clear at the beginning of each episode. It's like loosely based on a true story, but not completely but uh but yeah about a a young woman who kind of claims to have a bunch of money and wants to start businesses and needs to get loans and whenever she has to pay back any money uh suddenly there's no money there and but she she behaves she kind of acts the part of a of a billionaire's daughter and so people kind of assume well you must have it maybe it's just a complication but things kind of go downhill from there so it's a it's a it's a good show it's interesting. That's but, cool. But then the other, the Tinder Swindler is actually a documentary that is truly about a, a, a living person who uh, is currently <laughs> on the loose doing his thing, who swindled a lot of women with really a very similar story. He's a billionaire's son, uh, meets women on Tinder, falls in love with them. They fall in love with him uh, more, more accurately. He wines and dines them, and uh, and then suddenly, oh, there's there's trouble in my family, and uh, I need to I need to use your credit card instead of mine for a while. And the women are like, "Sure, that's fine. You know, you love me. We're we're a great couple. We can do that." And uh, then he disappears. Poof. Isn't so, it like a lot of money, like twenty five or sixty five thousand dollars? Oh, in the hundreds, actually. Whoa. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very compelling stuff. That reminds me of, I read the book a few years ago, Bad Blood. And so that was based on um, the story of Elizabeth Holmes. So it was like an investigative Uh, book. And so the Theranos, I believe was her. So the, and she very much was able to orchestrate. I I genuinely don't get the sense that she was, like, I don't think that she actually knew she was ripping people off. Like, I think she really believed in her product and was just trying to get more and more funds to develop this idea, even though she was overselling what she had, didn't actually have anything, but people kept investing in her company. So it was a multi-billion dollar company that grew very, very quickly and then collapsed. And there was like all these different issues and challenges. So it was a good book, Bad Blood. I'm not sure if you guys saw got the news about that but her trial just finished a few weeks ago down here and uh she's guilty all over the place i mean they were she was found guilty of almost all charges so i'm gonna report that back to book club this weekend do that big update 
Big update. Yep. Mm-hmm. Big deal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Speaking of book club, we have a book club. We do. It's it's going to happen in a couple of weeks. A couple of episodes from now, um, we will. Three. In three, that is correction. Three weeks, uh, and we have our book club selection. You ready? Shall I announce it? I think so. The book is called "The Power of Regret" by Daniel Pink. The Power of Regret, and this is talking about. We often talk. It's the the subtitle is "How Looking Backward Moves Us Forward." Uh so many times in society we hear to have no regrets and you know the past is the past just move on daniel pink who's a very popular author uh on these these kinds of books he wants to kind of point out how well maybe not so fast maybe there's something we can learn from past mistakes maybe there's some things we can learn about ourselves some things we could learn uh to do differently next time. So maybe we shouldn't uh, move so quickly beyond regret. Uh, I mean, we need to kind of pause and take a look at that for a minute. So the power of regret. We're going to do that in three weeks. I'm intrigued. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. So that will be it. So rush out to your local mom and pop bookstore and buy the power of regret it was just released actually that's the nice another nice little thing about this this particular selection it was just released and if you can't get it from a small locally owned bookstore then go ahead and get it from amazon i guess or wherever you get books speaking of regret uh are we gonna regret coming to this podcast with for your topic sebo is it gonna be a good one Oh, right now is my topic. <laughs> Chris's topic, everyone. He's got the ambush. He knows the topic. The three of us, the rest of us do not. So, Chris, are you going to shoot it on down? You know, it's funny about uh, finding a topic these days is I have to search the da- database of our previous 75 episodes to see if we've done it before. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this one I actually had to search twice because mm-hmm. I. I'm sure we touched on this topic, but and if somehow we have done this, then uh, we will talk uh, about uh, 1883 again. Toxic mask or self-care, sleep hygiene. <laughs> what do we got? I feel like there's so many topics where we've said in the podcast, well, this could be its own podcast, like uh, mm-hmm. little nuggets in there, but I don't, I never wrote those down. I wish I did. It's coming your way. Re-listen to every single one. Yeah. Yes. We should re-listen to self-care, the very first episode. I'm very curious to know what we talked about. We do self-care part two. I'm curious if our self-care advice has changed. Okay, everyone. We have the pod. We have the topic here. The ambush is right in my hands from Chris. He says... Work is such a big part of our lives. When should I consider changing jobs or going back to school? How can I make my job more satisfying? No. Guest speaker? Welcome? Nope. Oh. <laughs> I was wondering what you were doing there. 
<laughs> You're doing like, the work tonight. Dr. Angela Post, come on in. No, no. No, no. You're on the hook. I can. We can oh. handle this. We can handle this. We can handle this one for sure. I mean, for sure. Come on. What is it that we talk about with clients in therapy, right? We talk about relationships. We talk about uh, themselves, their own thoughts, feelings. We talk about work. I don't know if that's true with you guys, but work tends to be a fairly common issue in therapy. It takes up so much of our lives. Of course. Of course. Of course. So yes, I think it's a great topic, Chris. Well, thank you, Ryan. That's very, uh, very nice of you to say. For something that takes up, gosh, at least as much time, if not more time than sleep, we uh, we should probably talk about it. Let's let's do so. You know what? When one thing I just think of right away is more so. I think I've had a few conversations with you know, um, like teenagers and stuff. Is the pressure to figure out what you want to do is really hard. There's, I feel like teenagers in high school are having to figure it out they feel like they gotta have it all sorted before like they get to the senior grades and then and then I don't know I just I think it's tough I try to remind them it's all good if you don't know what you want to do there's time you could switch it up yeah my my son I have an older son who's an eighth grader here so eighth grade is middle school and then ninth grade goes to high school um he just had a meeting with his with the high school counselor actually so they're trying to think about the classes he's going to take in high school and and they said you know kind of talking about things in general like you know what what, what are you interested in what kinds of courses are you know let's look at your grades so far what things you know where are we going to place you basically in high school and even went to the next step of so what kinds of uh what kinds of goals do you think you might have for for your college major and what do you think you might want to do for a career whoa right? It starts young. It he's really 13. He's 13. Yeah. What's your major? What's your career path? I mean, it's not, they're not, holding, it, they're not holding him down to that, you know, but they're figuring like, oh, if you want to get into medicine, then let's make sure you have some math and science course, you know, that sort of thing. But, sure. but wow, I was thinking, geez, that oh. is starting early. Well, isn't, uh, so up here for like grade nine, you have a set block of courses. And you really can pick like one elective, I think for grade nine. And that's gonna be like, are you gonna do um, digital art or metalwork or drama or art? Like sure. you're, mm -hmm. it's not a, a big uh, question that you have to answer. Like, are you gonna do literature or science, you know? Um, so is that the same there where he doesn't actually have a lot to pick? He has like one class and it's interest. He doesn't have a lot to pick, but like, right. There's as far as an elective course, there's not much, much wiggle room there. But yeah. if, if say he's going to be in a, in a very heavy science sort of, he wants his interest in a heavy science career, then they want to put, make sure that he's in more accelerated science and math classes hmm. because accelerated that, ones. because that, that results in him being able to take kind of more of those math and science classes by the time he graduates and then can kind of get a jump start on on college classes wow so so every, every a lot of the classes here are like uh like a standard standard yeah. math honors math and then yes. like a ap or you know some sort of advanced placement sort of thing so oh, okay. we want to we want to make sure you're up up the ladder there if we're going to get mm. you to the to calculus by the time you're 
junior or whatever That's it's wild yeah 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 wow. we have the stages too it seems to be like standard advanced and then uh kind of a more supplementary like working level yeah. uh i don't know what they call yeah. it now but we do we do have a career and personal planning kind of course that starts early it's like a that weird grade 10, grade 10 yeah a weird little short class where you answer some questions like it's like a between class thing um yeah I don't know I just think there's a lot of pressure and I think we have to normalize that it's okay not to have that figured out or if you try something that you for kids to know if you try a, a path that it's okay to change it or be undecided mm -hmm. um mm -hmm. yeah. I think yeah, down by a lot I agree like there seems to as much as I think um, adults try to describe it as teens. I'm not sure where they're getting this image or concept, or it seems this way with the clients I work with, that they think there's like, you go to university and you're accepted into sciences and you're like locked in there. And, mm -hmm. and yeah. you're going to have this program, it's going to be set out for you. Like, you're not going to have a sense of control or autonomy over that course, like, or over your journey or educational journey, when in fact, you get to pick like a lot, uh, including whether or not you even want to stay in that department or if you want to switch over to arts and you get to try a bunch of different classes sure. uh, and you have a lot to choose from, including if you want to defer or take a year off or you're not going to lose your spot. It's not like you're falling behind a program. Like I, I think there's a lot of misconception. I will say that, but just in the interest of, I guess, fairness, as far as some people don't have a lot of, uh, either due to, to economic reasons or, uh, or family pressures at times, that, that wiggle room can, can narrow a bit, right? Mm -hmm. Like, you know, we've, we've only got enough money for you to get through this in four years, and You've got to have something that makes money by the time you get out. You know, there's, there's, I've certainly heard that story several times, mm -hmm. right? Uh, or, you know, yeah, you have a passion for the arts, but you're, we're afraid you're not going to make any money in the arts. So you got to do something, you know, that's more practical. Yeah. So there's, there's, there's a whole lot of different stories behind where someone ends, ends up as far as their job is concerned and uh, why they're there and do they love it or do they not? Or is it, are they working to live or living to work? All these different things. So mm -hmm. that's, that's why it's really, a good topic. There's a lot there. It's a really good point. Really good point. Because, you know, we've talked, touched on this before in past podcasts that neurologically, there's a lot of things happening within the adolescent brain. Mm -hmm. A lot of changes happening up to your mid-20s, right? So that part of the brain that's supposed to help you with decision-making and intuition and uh, empathy, morality, logic, rationality is going through some changes there, right? So you have all this pressure on the teenager to make these big life-altering decisions when, uh, when, of course, that part of the brain that's supposed to help them with that, making that big decision is, is uh, not quite fully developed, right? So those dynamics, yeah, it's a really good point, Ryan, the family pressure and, you know, there's a lot, a lot going on there that could influence those decisions. And Maybe they don't maybe school's not going to be an option and they got to just go into the workforce right away. Right. Like, and that's okay too, or I don't know. Yeah. Um, Absolutely. I'm pretty sure I mentioned this story as well in the past podcast, but Cornelius Ray, his name is Con Ray. Yes. A professor that actually three of the four of us have had 
I'm sure you can guess which ones. Um, up here in Canada, a psychologist, and uh, he said that he got his master's degree, and I think he was 47. He got a doctorate at 53. And when he mentioned that to a bunch of first-year psychology students, people gasped. They're like, <gasps> um, and he picked up on this, and and uh, a lot of people assume or are wondering what the what happened to you? Like how 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 did it take you that long to figure it out? So. Uh, to Joanna's point, he's like, I didn't know what I wanted to do at that time. So he decided to get a job. And I think he ended up traveling extensively and did some training. And he did, uh, I think he had a career prior to becoming a psychologist. And But he said he would not change a thing. If he could go back and do it all over again, he would do it the same way. Because the experiences he had helped him get to that point in his life where he found what he truly wanted to do as well as it helped shape his personality, right? He had these life experiences that he would have never had if he went straight into a four-year degree or, um, you know, into his graduate degree. So I think there's some wisdom there that, hey, maybe work a bit and learn a bit more about life and and you, you'll get some clues along the way in terms of what you may really want to do. Mm-hmm. There was, um, like, when I was going through my master's and you take the career counseling course and this is many moons ago now, but uh, I'm pretty sure at that time, the research was saying on average, people have three different careers in their life, careers, not jobs, and up to eight different jobs in each of those careers. So whether that's you're ah. in the same, in you could be in the same company and start at one position and then you you know, you might get a promotion and get another promotion. So there you go. Now you have three different positions in one career. This could happen quite quickly, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I found that really eye-opening that there's a lot of wiggle, and that's on average. So sure, some people get it the first time is the one that sticks, and for other people, it's not. And I'm sure as well, like Ryan, you're a, like a psychologist, but you're also a professor. Yeah. Or an instructor. I'm not sure. What would you be considered? The official role is a clinical professor, which means I teach a little bit, supervise a little bit. I mean, that's, yeah, but it's, it, it's, uh, you're right. There, there are multiple different roles. Yeah. Uh, that people or hats that people wear. And, and also, I think, you know, we're all in the mental health field and, and it, mental health field does tend to stay we do tend to stay kind of close to that. Those averages and, and the, the career shifts you're talking about, like I know a lot of people in business here, um, their whole thing is, well, I got a, I got a, a new job at this company and I'm going to stay here for two years and then I'm going to jump to another company. You know, at a, I'm going to get a, a title change and a bump in pay and I'll go to that other company. And that's just sort of the, the regular career path for a lot of business folk. Yeah. Uh, where for me it'd be like, oh my gosh, you're only there for two years. <laughs> like that's, yeah. you don't even know where you're sitting at that point. But you're like, I'm just gaining my therapeutic alliance here. Like, <laughs> I'm just getting started. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. But that's that is the norm for a lot of folks. Mm-hmm. So so I got a quote here from the great American philosopher John Dewey. He said, to find out what one is fitted to do and to secure an opportunity to do it is the key to happiness. So he was very much into education and psychology as well. A lot of people are adverse, you know, you know, in terms of 
work, they say, oh, I can't wait to not have to work anymore. Or, um, obviously, a lot of complacency and complaining about jobs. Um, but focus time is important. Trying to find uh, a way to work hard and contribute to the well-being of others, for instance, could be very rewarding. So, yeah, kind of curious to get your perspectives on that, Like, Because um, it seems to me like if, if there is a match there, if you're really good at what you do and you get some meaning and purpose from it, then it can be a huge source of happiness. Mm-hmm. Uh, on the flip side of that, if you're kind of forced to do a job that you don't find fulfilling, if it's very monotonous and boring, then it can actually be a source of unhappiness, perhaps. Since we're sharing quotes here, uh, old, old man Freud was asked towards the end of his career, Someone asked him, well, what do you think is our reason here? Why why are we here on earth? What are we here to do? And he thought for a second and just said, to work and to love. That was was his, he just boiled it down, to work and to love. Which, you know, relationships, connections, all of those things, and also work, which I think isn't just about paychecks, but about the sense of purpose and meaning or or a gratification of I'm doing a good job, I'm, I'm doing something with my with my time and with my life yeah and think uh, about yeah for sure i'll go ahead yeah just just thinking that yeah that i mean yeah it's it's a great topic because it raises all these all these questions about do i do i work to live is my job something a place where i find my purpose and meaning or there are many people who work jobs that they find kind of boring or Maybe really difficult. They don't like their job at all, but they use the the money from that, or you know, they find their connections outside of work, and it still it can be meaningful in some ways. Or the job stinks, but I, I focus on the relationships with the people I have at the work. I mean, mm-hmm. it all can sorts still serve of serve a purpose um, without it being without that purpose being like meaning, deep meaning, mm-hmm. right? Like if the the paycheck can yeah give you a pension and if it can provide you with vacation days and sick days and time off and good hours so that you can spend time with your loved ones and you can uh, invest time into hobbies and into your community and why not like that's not such a bad as long as I, I don't Yeah, I I think there's so many people that kind of get stuck when they're talking about career and moving forward that like, is this my passion? Is this my calling? Is this where I'm going to find meaning and purpose and fulfillment? And um, I don't think work always does that for us. And I would be a little fearful if somebody's work did that completely for them, because once you retire, you're going to lose that. I wouldn't want all those eggs in one basket. Sure. I think that there's enjoyment in work, right? You're going to want to feel okay being there. Um, and whether or not that means maybe you're doing something that you feel is rudimentary for the con- company, but maybe the company's values align with yours. And you know that that company, you're part of something that's doing something really good in the world. Yeah. And maybe that helps you align and, and see, see your contribution on a day-to-day basis, right? Yeah, that's a really good point he bring up because for a lot of folks out there that job might not be the most rewarding thing that they're doing but it allows them to have balance in other ways right 
they can have that house and, and, and that security and they can go on those vacations. They can engage in hobbies and other passions. So it allows them to have that lifestyle, right? Because you could also have a job you're passionate about, but doesn't allow you to do those things. So I, I remember uh, there was a, a show several years ago called Dirty Jobs. I think the, uh, mm-hmm. the host of it was name is Mike Rowe. I think he's a little controversial figure right now, but regardless, he was giving a talk. I don't remember if it was a TED talk or some other sort of talk where he was talking about the fact that, look, these jobs are not glamorous. These are, you know, working in the sewer, working, uh, you know, cleaning hazardous materials or, you know, crime scenes or whatever they might be that are dirty jobs. They're difficult and they're not glamorous and they're hard, but the people who do them oftentimes really do console themselves with I'm earning a great living. I I'm doing this, this work that no one else will do. And therefore I get paid more for it. And it does afford me more time to, to build security for my family and maybe some other creature comforts in their life. So it's exactly making that point. Chris. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I guess it's, it's kind of, yeah, your perspective on it, right. Mm-hmm. Then anything else. I agree. It's a back to that perception, right? Because mm-hmm. if you have that mindset and say, Hey, I'm here. Yeah. It may not be the most exciting job, but I'm doing this for these other reasons. If you're able to focus on how that enriches your life, um, then that could be beneficial. But if you're there and hating every single moment of it, then that's no doubt going to probably impact your, mm-hmm. your mental health, I guess. Right. I know easier said than done here because some jobs are pretty brutal, but what do you not just the jobs but the relationships in the job right like how are your relationships with your coworkers, and how well does the company support their workers um and their staff so if you're i feel like yeah um contentment of the employee is really based on how healthy the employer is so there's that piece too you might do something that's not the most fun and it might be a little boring, but you're, you know what, you might really enjoy the people that you work with and the type of leadership style and you might feel uh, appreciated there. And um, maybe they show a lot of gratitude and and mm. that probably feels good, right? Yeah, boy. You know, speaking of the meaningful work, I've, I've had the, the honor to have, to have worked in, with, with a few people who, did uh, do, they do palliative care, like uh, end of life care for people? And you know, when when first presented with that, my 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 gut reaction was, oh man, that must be so mm-hmm. devastating to just you know you're working, you're knowing this person's going to die. What's that like for you? All of that loss, and with to a person, every one of the people who who I've known who's worked in that field is like. Oh no! This is the this is the best job ever. This is the most meaningful work I could ever do. I'm helping this person during this incredible you know transition in their life, this incredible stage of their life, and get to be one of the people who's there to to help them uh, have a good ending of their life. And wow, that blows me away when I when I think about that. And I don't know how well that pays or anything like that, but just as far as the meaning of the work. Uh, that just carries them you know mm-hmm. yeah that's wild yeah as well remember um there's a study out there i i can't obviously i 
not going to research it right now because, but the gist of it was they connected with hospitality staff that work in a hotel and the control group just got a more of a general uh, discussion or, uh, of some kind. But the test group was um, told that the amount, of, the amount of steps that they get and movement that they make throughout the day is very beneficial for the cardiovascular system. And there's a lot of benefits to that. And they talked about uh, how meaningful and purposeful the work can be and how they're making an impact and, and then the connection with each other. And so um, I guess they came back a month or two later and, and those who were in the test group actually had higher job satisfaction as well as had felt healthier and, and lost some weight um, just based on that mindset that they helped kind of create, right? So again, power of interpretation, power of perception, I think is can be important, right? And I think it kind of stems back from that evolutionary perspective. Everyone kind of had a role for the survival of the group. And and I'm, I'm sure everyone contributed in their own kind of way and became good at that. So I think making that link to contribution. You mentioned the, the folks in the sewers there, whatever uh, that job was, the grunt work. You're still contributing to the well-being of society so i think if you make that link in your mind and then uh, i think maybe that could give you a bit of a boost there it's a great point yeah seeing how this all fits into the bigger picture do you think that there yeah i guess you're you're kind of alluding to this point chris of like if i think there are some people who are maybe getting out of college or, or high school or wherever they are and thinking, I really want to have a job that makes a difference. I want to make a difference in this world and I want my work to be the meaningful part. And maybe other folks were like, oh, I just want to get a job so that I can do other fun things in my life. Do you think that that's, think that's, that's uh, kind of hard set? Do you think that changes over the course of a lifetime? Do you think that can change maybe through an intervention like you're talking about? I'm kind of curious. Like, I'm not sure if that is a conscious decision people make. I think they make mm -hmm. the decision in that moment that they feel will benefit them the best based on the information they have. But I think as time goes on, they may realize that it is either a good fit for them or they may have to make a pivot of some kind. But um, sure. Yeah, I'm not, that's a good question. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, I've certainly worked with uh, a lot of folks in the creative fields, right? Or maybe aspired to the creative fields. You know, I want to be a musician. I want to be an actor, right? That sort of thing. And and oftentimes down the road, maybe at some point they say, you know what? I don't think acting's for me, but I do like working with set design, or I do like working with. Uh, you know, editing film or whatever that might be. And that's also more lucrative and maybe more stable. So I'm gonna kind of transition to that. I'm still in the entertainment field, but I'm not I'm not in front of the camera, behind the camera, something along those lines. I think those sorts of changes happen uh, pretty often, at least in the artistic field. Yeah, that's a good point. Now I do have a couple of clients who they're not as fixated and focused on the amount of money they're gonna make. They're not as worried about the size of their condo or apartment. They want to do something that is going to make a difference or something creative to your, to your point there. So that's, so I guess it's kind of back to the whole idea of metrics, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. 
what kind of lifestyle is it that you want and um, what kind of impact do you want to be making and what does it, yeah, there's a lot of factors to think about with this, right? A lot of factors. I think people are, for the most part, fluid. Like, I, I think it's going to be very rare to find someone who's going to um, get out of high school and what, or post-secondary, whatever that is, and have one position and stay in that exact same position in the exact same company until retirement. There's going to be opportunities. There's going to be ebbs and flows. There's going to be stress and joy and all kinds of things. It's going to be a journey. And I think the more that you learn about yourself, uh, then the more that that's going to ebb and flow as you figure out what you do like. And some people figure that out a little earlier and some people figure that out a little later or circumstance and we're investigating like, um, I don't know, maybe you, you come from a family of doctors. So you defaulted and became a doctor and then 15 years into it, you're like, why am I doing this? I want to run a flower shop and there you go. Okay. You're going to go run a flower shop. Right. Mm -hmm. But being open to that insight. Yeah. That's intriguing. Isn't it? The personal preferences. So I mentioned metrics, like how do we measure success or measure in your mind in terms of what a job looks like? So, you know, often compensation is part of that conversation, but is it, uh, you know, commute? Is it the dynamic with her? Do you want to work on a team or work individually? Do you want it to uh, every day to be different or do you prefer it to be quite consistent? Um, like, is it creative or is it more like logical? Is it like number yeah. based or are you designing things? Is it flexible? Is it set hours? Um, yeah. Like, there's so many different factors, and all of us would answer that those metrics very differently, right? Um, I've actually, I've, I've had clients who are extreme, extremely high achieving and, and uh, rocked it from an academic standpoint. And sometimes they, they just want a job. They don't really care about the money. They just want something that is consistent and stable and, and, um, and, and, and they'd be content with that. Right. Mm -hmm. Which is totally fine. Right. Mm -hmm. But I guess that mismatch may happen at times is based on circumstance or external factors. So Ryan talked about family, um, might be some social influencers or social oh, yeah. economic uh, barriers. And sometimes you just have to jump in there and do what you need to do. And mm -hmm. definitely, yeah. definitely. Or uh, one of my, one of my best friends um, uh, is, is part of a family business, right? And uh, kind of this grand grandfather started this business, dad had the business and Kind of expected that he would then kind of take over the business and um not necessarily his passion not necessarily the the type of work i think he naturally would have chosen to do but um but it was a great gift to be able to kind of take over this business and it's given him and his family a lot of uh, a lot of joy uh just with the flexibility and the, the financial reward of that and all that I don't think he has any regrets, but I know that sometimes, I mean, maybe sometimes there are little, little regrets. <laughs> like, yeah. What else could I have done? You know, yeah, it's a good problem to have. He would say the first to say that, but, uh, but still there's, it's, it's not often that we find people who are like, I am in, I, I, exactly the position I like and exactly the job that I love. And it meets all of the criteria that we're talking about. 
-hmm. And so when you ask the question, Chris, when, when should someone uh, consider changing jobs or going back to school? That's, I don't think there's a hard and fast rule on that. It's, it really has to do with the individual and like, where, where are you in your, in your life? Where are you in your job? Where are you with your satisfaction or dissatisfaction with your job? And mm -hmm. kind of, what are you, what kind of cost are you willing to pay for the benefits? Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. I, I think there's certain things people can be aware of though. I've, yeah. I've met, met folks who are like, they're so fixated on that, that job that they really want or the next opportunity. But when they get that opportunity, they're not satisfied with it, right? Mm -hmm. um, I met a client today and he was really focused and working so hard to get this one position that he wanted. And luckily he, he was getting it, but it, I think he realized soon after, maybe it wasn't about the job position at all. I think there's other things going on that needed to be addressed, right? Yeah, yeah that destination happiness. Right. Yeah, it's just this gonna, thing, yeah. yeah, getting this job is going to fix all the things. Mm -hmm. Also, yeah. and the, the flip side of that, in the last few years, we've heard a lot more of this, of people who are like, I lost my job, I thought it was the end of the world, and then something else came along, or I decided to do my own thing, or I found this other opportunity, and now I'm much happier. Like, it's all so temporary, these, these things, you know? Mm -hmm. In the moment, it feels like I just lost my dream job, but sometimes that's that's the nudge you needed to get into something that you're even more happy with. Mm -hmm. Yeah, good point. Because yeah. sometimes we get comfortable and familiar, right? Mm -hmm. And we don't want to make that jump. And and uh, some folks out there are just miserable. And there's lots of reasons why they're miserable with that position. It could be lots of different dynamics there, but they have the hard time making that jump, right? Yeah. So I totally agree. It's two ends of the spectrum there mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah i do think when we're yeah talking about career and occupation and stuff ryan you mentioned this a little bit but yeah kind of the like the shoulds yeah. um i should be making mm -hmm. x number of dollars i should be able to care for my family in this way i should be able to provide this or that i should be able to climb the ranks or I should be middle management by this age or I should retire by this age, whatever all these shoulds are. But where do those shoulds come from? The shoulds are probably coming from a collection of beliefs that you've got from growing up and your family of origin. And if you were to start being curious about mapping out what did your parents do for work and what were kind of those messages that came through just by them, how they interacted with their work or their occupation and then going to your aunts and uncles and your grandparents and really looking at the family lineage of what it meant to have occupations and as a man and as a woman and what were those and and because that's probably where your shoulds are coming from and then we start to feel anxious or stressed out if we're not going to meet that should that we're going to be a disappointment we're not going to add up we're not going to be good enough for some reason and it takes a lot of courage or bravery to break from that should to say, well, I don't think so. I could do something else. I can change that metric. That was my dad's metric. That was my grandpa's metric. That was my yes. uncle's metric. Yes, sure. Yeah, and it's, yeah, that's an interesting, interesting pressure, which again, it's, maybe it's beneficial, maybe, maybe not so much. I, I think of, of, of both ends of that, someone who's, 
you know, we've, we've had four generations of doctors in this family, so I've got to go be a doctor. Well, that could be an expectation. That could be a should. Do you want to? Is that, is that what you really want to do? Maybe you'd like to open a flower shop. You know, who knows what, what that might be? Uh, if it's what you want to do and you have the capability to do it, then great. But yeah, this, how much weight do we put on that expectation or that should, or I don't want to disappoint the people around me. And you know, and you know what, depending on, you know, some people get started up in their careers and they might be in their twenties and, and priorities might shift if they decide to sure. have a family or like, there might just be different factors that are like, you know what, I'm not so career focused. Um, I now want to kind of do something different or try to scale back or take a different position. So I think that's okay to normalize as well. Like what was important for you early on, you might not be striving for that anymore, or if you're able to balance both or whatever you want, really. Yeah. Yeah. I think kind of what we're talking about is in those circumstances is kind of focus time, right? How are you spending that time and energy in your life? If you're raising kids, that's a tremendous amount of work and takes a lot of focus, right? Mm-hmm. Or Brooke and I know a, a guy, I think he, what, he retired at the age of 45 or something like that, or Al, but he's really big into um, volunteering and he's part of lots of local projects, international projects and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So he created, he, he took a step back and evaluated like his finances and tried to budget out if he were to live conservatively, how much would he really need? And yeah, he retired at 45 and just is a very, very active, lives a, yeah, conservative life and volunteers a ton in the community. Yeah, but they're all doing something like even Joanna's circumstance too, reevaluating things. I think where you get into trouble is like, I hear it all the time. Oh, I I don't understand people, how they could say they, they won the lottery, there's still work. If I won the lottery, I would, never work another day in my life again Mm -hmm. it's a little more complicated than that Mm -hmm. because if you go from working having that structure and having that meaning and purpose and go to nothing if you have no other um, you know uh, other avenues in place then that could actually lead to some problems and some issues right Mm -hmm. certainly can that's uh former book club selection together by Vivek Murthy talked a bit about that and about kind of the the challenge of people who retire and don't have really anything else to fill their time can really struggle with isolation and loneliness and and that that sense of you know a lack of purpose yeah your dad so, was, so, we talked to your dad about that actually he was retiring too exactly yeah yeah so if someone gave you a lump sum of money you'd be like oh this is amazing and then you probably go back down to your baseline level of uh happiness but if you didn't earn that money if you didn't earn that lifestyle that you have often folks feel like empty vessels right yeah. it's not as satisfying it's the most intriguing thing our society is like make money and and have that house and that car but if you actually don't work towards it and help earn that then sometimes mm-hmm. it doesn't feel as satisfying right yeah there was another another gal um yeah and, and she had said um I've lived big before and I don't want to live big anymore. I want to live small. And she like had a, you know, the big house and the career and all the rest of it. I am pretty sure she's still working. I don't know if it's in the same position, but downsized, got rid of a bunch of things, lives very minimally. And it was impacted by doing some service work internationally. Um, 
So going and, and seeing the conditions and trying to help build some housing and um, really getting over there and coming back and being like, what am I, what am I doing? Yeah, but that was her phrase and that stuck with me. I don't, I don't want to live big anymore. <laughs> and then that makes me think of like, why do we think we need to live big? What is that? And then, you know, on a whole different realm, is that contributing to climate change? Yeah. Our desire to live big. And we're really getting uprooted or dislocated from uh, the core of us living, living small and living together and being connected. And we're breaking from that. And is that dislocation then rippling out into these bigger problems, right? Yeah. All I get to say is what a topic for tonight's podcast, eh? My goodness. Oh, yeah. Way to go, Chris. The directions we're going in. It's okay, Chris. It's okay. It's okay. <laughs> That's great. That's great. Totally. So, so when, if we're, if we're talking about uh, maybe an example of when someone is feeling a lot of dissatisfaction in their job and they're, they're thinking about, gosh, maybe, maybe it is time for me to look for something else or go back to school and, and learn something else. Would there be any sort of like general uh, signs you might notice as, as a therapist maybe, or, or for yourself that might tell you, you know what, maybe this isn't working for me. Yeah, sometimes I see, I have a, a client I saw tonight as well that felt very disheartened, demoralized. I think a lot of dynamics, um, uh, maybe the values of the company were kind of shifting a bit. Um, so he decided that maybe within the realm of that specialty, he decided that maybe we get to explore some other options, but I commend him because he was actually pretty methodical with it. He didn't just abruptly quit. He was patient and saw what else is out there and and uh, took some time with it. He didn't, um, to provide some context, I think he was troubleshooting and problem solving prior to this. And maybe some of the change, he offered some advice. He was trying to find ways to enhance his job prior, but it wasn't kind of working. So yeah, demoralized, disheartened, losing yeah. motivation, Apathy is a big, big, a big thing I've seen working in various organizations and government agencies and stuff like that. The lack of interest or enthusiasm and um, like a disengagement from your work, hmm. right? Um, sense of dread, like the ongoing case of like the Sunday night aren't able to sleep. I, that's a very common one. So that hmm. would uh, that would be a small piece on that I would want to follow up on. I think there's other things that people can do about that, um, but it is something I would want to track, right? I'd also say there's been a lot of talk about burnout in, in the pandemic, you know, people burning out from their jobs, particularly, you know, certain professions, teachers for sure, and healthcare has been a big area for that too. And I, as a little distinguishing point, I, I think that people who are burned out um, they actually, they, they like their job. They like doing their job. They feel good about their job. They feel there's value and worth there, but they're just so exhausted. They can't do it. Mm. Whereas I think if someone is 
uh, is really at this point of, I need to change careers. I think they may have lost, lost that desire to even do that job regardless. Like a good point, mm -hmm. whether I have energy or not, this is just not the place for me. Good point. Yeah. So the burnout is, Hey, some things need to be tweaked and changed. I need to advocate for myself or figure this out. I need, yeah, I need more, that maybe, I need yeah. more energy. I need more, I need to be refilled, re refueled. And then I can come back and do this, give this job my whole heart. Oh, okay. Yeah. And that may even be, you know, part of that burnout is I feel like I can't do all that I want to do here. I really want to do it, but I just don't have the energy. Whereas someone who's really done <laughs> with the job would be like, I don't care how much energy I have. I don't want to do this thing anymore. Yeah. No, that's a really important distinction for sure. So when you're done, you're done. Like it's, they just don't, don't care. Um, yeah. 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 It's, it's like, you know, a raise isn't going to do it or, you know, unless it's huge, <laughs> um, a little vacation, more vacation time isn't going to do it. I yeah. just don't like this thing I'm doing right now. Sometimes you see uh, some depression show up there too, especially when some feels stuck. So yeah. like, yeah, I'm, I'm done. I'm over this. I want another job, but mm -hmm. realistically, that's not going to happen for a number of different reasons. Maybe it'd be a gigantic pay cut and they'll have a, ripple effect in terms of their quality of life so they feel stuck there and and feel miserable in terms of waking up and going to work so yep. yeah depression is oftentimes manifests in, in hopelessness and helplessness yeah. you know i'm i'm hopeless it's, it's hopeless this job isn't going to change i can't change it i'm helpless to do anything about it so that can certainly leave a person feeling pretty depleted and mm -hmm. i just don't want to do this anymore I think some other cues that it's time to switch jobs, this might not be internal, but more external, is if there is uh, like ongoing toxic work environments. Mm -hmm. uh, if there is workplace bullying and harassment that isn't being dealt with, if there's something else going on that is corrupt or disaligns with your values. Um, I, yeah, just putting that out there that there, there might be some external reasons why you might want to leave your job too. It's true. They're bad for your health, right? Bad for your health, yeah. I would say that if if I'm working with somebody and they're like, boy, I really don't like this work, um, I would first encourage them to see, well, is is there something that you that could change? Is there something that either you could ask for or you could do differently? Or is there a a mindset change like you were talking about, Chris, you know, is there a way to look at yourself as part of the bigger picture or something that might help this become a better job for you? If that's, if they've tried that and they either hit a brick wall or it just doesn't seem like there's anywhere to go with that, they truly are helpless in trying to make any changes that are going to make the job better. Then I think it's, it's time to start looking around. Mm -hmm. Sometimes people haven't, haven't had that, experience or they haven't maybe they're scared to speak up or the that assertiveness is not has not been a part of their their work life and maybe just that may that might be a sign that okay this might be work for work for us to work on to actually being able to be honest with your boss and say hey you know what i kind of need some things to change here could you move me mm -hmm. move me to a different department or could i you know mm -hmm. have a could you pay better attention to my workload or whatever that might be 
those might be important skills right there for them to learn. Yeah. Regardless mentorship. of the job. Yeah. Mentorship or training opportunities or trying to advocate for, for yourself. Yeah. Big time. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. I say that from experience. There's, there's a guy I worked with years back who there was, he loved all these parts of his job, but this one part, he just hated, gosh, he just hated that one part of his job. And he felt like, I just can't do this anymore because this one part and just talked about, well, have you asked if you could not do that? And like the light bulb came out. Oh, no, he'd been there for so long. He even thought that that was even an option. Mm. He asked the boss, can I maybe not do this and just do more of the other stuff? The boss said, sure. Yeah, no problem. It was like <laughs> night and day. <laughs> just, and here I thought, I thought you were maybe talking about a therapist who didn't want to do clinical notes, but no, that's not it. <laughs> Gotta do for us listeners like yeah clinical notes are not the the fun part of our work it's true it's an important part but it is not engaging and fun <laughs> so no but and chris when you talk about going back to school or changing careers altogether you know your your professor who got a master's degree at 47 and a doctorate at 53 I mean, that's a great example of someone who just said, yeah, I'm, I've looked around, I've kind of figured out what I want to do, and I'm ready to do it. Age be damned, doesn't matter. I'm, I'm going to do this now. And uh, certainly doesn't seem like he had any regrets, regrets about that. Well, same it's with true. We had a, a colleague, Rick, um, and he was a, an engineer. It was his first career. And then he was volunteering. Was it that he was volunteering in the church and he was leading a group of some sort or helping with a group and like a support group? And he felt like helping others was his calling and he had a, a bit of an awakening and continued on to get his, his doctorate in psychology. At, how old was Rick when he got that? In his 50s, I think, mm. or late 40s, maybe. Yes, the master's came first and then he worked for a while and kind of chipped away at a doctorate. Yeah. So it might have been in his 50s that he got the doctorate. But yeah, engineer first. He also um, decided to do the Ironman when he was... In his 40s. Yeah, 46 or something. And he decided to do that for the first time. And I think he's done multiple of them wow. since. Good for him. Yeah. So it's, it's, I guess these stories just help remind us it's never too late. Like, yeah. why not? Again, it's breaking away from those shoulds. Like, yeah, um, you know, I can't or I shouldn't or that's not how it goes. Well, why not? Who made that yeah. rule? It's true. And then, if, but if you have, um, <clears throat> if logically, rationally, this job makes sense for a lot of different reasons, and as people reply, um, kind of relying on that income, and then you know, there's opportunities to enhance other aspects of your life and the other balance and trying to make the best of a yeah. situation that might not be the most ideal. So back to that mindset, right? But a lot of my young clients who are graduating high school, who are confused, I'm like, you know, there's, there's definitely some options available to you. You can go to school, you can work or, or travel if, that, if you have the ability to, but you got to do something, right? Um, sitting at home and doing nothing is not going to help your mental health or mm -hmm. help your well-being in general, right? Yeah. And hopefully yeah, you have to get out there. Get out there and just have those experiences. And hopefully, again, you pick up on some clues in terms of what you may want to do moving forward. 
I'll say that getting out there doesn't necessarily always mean actually leaving the house though. I mean, maybe, maybe you're, you're a writer and you're writing the next great novel or you're, I mean, you still have to interact with the world, but doing something is what you're talking about. You need to do something mm -hmm. uh, in order to give yourself uh, meaning. And that may be something in your house because there's a pandemic or it could be something that's out in the world, but yeah. something to give yourself some purpose. And what does the research say about money? Once your basic needs are met, once you can take care of yourself and money is not a big stressor for you, then uh, money doesn't really have that big of an impact in terms of your level of happiness, right? Yeah. In fact, it actually starts declining. The richer uh, your yeah. income increases, yeah, because of the right. sacrifices that you would have need to, you would have made to get that type of income. You would probably be pretty socially disconnected, or your relationships would be quite superficial. So you yeah. actually sacrifice all the things that bring a deeper level of connection and joy. Yeah, so, yeah. Or desensitized to anything and everything, because you know, is Disneyland as special if you get to go there every single weekend versus once every three or four years. Of course, I don't live down in Anaheim or LA, but I'm sure I would go a lot more if I could, but. Oh man, you're gonna ruffle the feathers of a lot of Disneyland's like, <laughs> season ticket holders down here who go all the, all time. the time. Yeah, Fair enough, fair enough. I haven't been back in a while, so. <laughs> Bro, going to a sunny destination that's a big one for us up here again every week you, ryan you live in a sunny destination i want to go to a snowy and rainy destination that's true okay Come on okay if you have all the fanciest sports cars <laughs> does it really matter anymore you know i don't know anyone i don't know ask okay. jane leno i guess the novelty yeah. the materialistic like item wears off pretty quick yeah <laughs> that's true that's true okay uh how can you make your job more satisfying even if you kind of like your job let's let's start with that let's say you're not miserable at your job but your job's just kind of okay what things can people do to or maybe think about in terms of making the job even more satisfying i like to do the uh what are you looking forward to tomorrow game? When you're thinking about going to work, what is it that you're looking forward to? And very small things. They don't need to be these ginormous things, but like, oh, I don't know. Susie at the front desk always has the nicest hello. She's always so chipper. And I look forward to that brief moment where I get to say hi. Or um, tomorrow is someone's birthday and there's going to be birthday cake. And that's always a nice treat or whatever it might be. Just what is what are a few small small things that you're looking forward to tomorrow? Yeah, I like that. It's kind of reminds me of the Book of Awesome, right? From Neil Prasarcha. Mm -hmm. It doesn't have to be big profound things like getting a raise or having a vacation day. It's um, the smaller things that happen throughout that work day. Yeah, hey, I like that. Yeah, I think there's certain ways to enhance, hopefully enhance the day. Um, maybe through um, conversations or communication and connection with your colleagues or your, your clients or your customers um, trying to make a game out of it trying to improve a certain skill set I think again apathy 
if that takes over a bit, that's so tough to dislodge that mentality, right? So, you know, just having those personal challenges or, or trying to find ways to make your job a little more interesting and creative. You could also uh, enhance your workspace if you do have your own personal workspace, like if you have a, an office or a cubicle, so having items that you uh, find that are beautiful or enjoyable or nostalgic or bring positive emotion when you see them or connect with them. And that could be whatever it is for you, a little memento or a picture or whatever, but making sure. the space yours. Absolutely. I think also just once in a while doing kind of an inventory of the things that you like about your work and the things that you don't is, is good or things that like, don't like, or things that drain your energy versus things that give you energy, uh, that sort of thing. Um, mm -hmm. For me, I'll give an example here. When I first got out of school to become a therapist, I, you know, student loan debts, I was a single guy. I was just, I wanted to work as much as I could and get as much experience as I could, help as many people as I could. And so I would see kind of anybody who came through the door, like, great, let's, let's do some work together. Let's, uh, and I worked, I had poor boundaries as far as I worked early morning to late night, six days a week. And I was, I was just there. Whenever you need me, I'll be there. Um, so as I, I started to get more established and, and realized that was not really sustainable over time, I had to kind of think about, well, what, what do I really want to do? And what, what kinds of clientele really are, are great for me? And that was when I realized, you know what, for me, not for everybody, but for me, working with like certain groups like adolescents weren't really the best for me because I realized when you're working with adolescents, there's also the interactions with parents and it just seemed like it was taking up a lot of, a lot more time. I like adolescents, but also as I got a little older, I realized I don't really know what that, what their music is anymore. <laughs> so I just kind of made, made a decision, you know what, I'm going to pass on adolescents to my colleagues and I'm going to just work with adults. And I started to take a look at my calendar because as a self-employed person, I kind of set my own schedule and I realized, yeah, that late night stuff is really kind of burns me out and I got to have my weekends back. So I kind of cut that back a little bit too. And I had the, the, the freedom and privilege to do that. And, uh, but that made all the difference for me. So every once in a while, I kind of look and think, what, what is it about my work? And, you know, notes, we still got to do notes. That's kind of an inevitability, but are there things that I can do that I can take some charge of? And, you know, maybe I want to take Friday afternoons off and spend it with family or do something else, write or do something. That's, that should be okay. If you have that, the, the opportunity to do that. Um, and yeah. maybe there are some things that you could ask for or try to just think about what do I have control over that could make my, my work life a little bit better. Mm -hmm. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. Doing that uh, inventory, I think makes a lot of sense. And then that creativity, right? Yeah. Trying to find the flexibility in the position mm -hmm. if you can, right? Sure. Uh, and it might mean, again, asking for what you want. It might be scary. Might need, need some practice, might need to role play that or something with someone to, uh, ask for what you want in order to get the, the kind of life that you're, the work life that you're looking for. 
That's great. Or quit your job and do something else. <laughs> Go back to school, get some more student loan debt. Who knows? Well, I do think it is an important topic, Chris, because again, we spend so much time at work. It's such a, it is a part of our identity, whether we like it or not. And, uh, and I know that when, when someone's work life is not going well, they're often not doing well. Mm -hmm. So it's a big part of mental health mm -hmm. and a good ambush for us. One of the best. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> one of the best anything else to add i think we got it all i think that was great great well done team well done everybody good ideas good topic good work tonight everyone all right ha ha, ha, ha. that's good okay we will sign off for now. Remember, the book that we're reading for the book club is called The Power of Regret by Daniel Pink. And that's it for us. Please like and subscribe. Apple, Google, Podbean, Audible, Spotify, Stitcher, YouTube. Send your questions to infomentalbootcamp.com. Visit us on Facebook or Instagram. Tell a friend or two at work. And we'll see you guys next week. Bye. Bye, everybody. Thanks for listening.